Pelletero Pickle episode 99. This is a fun one. We're going to get into some Mike Trout, some Boba Shett, Joe Madden article. Really good episode. Um, things going on with Pelotero World. We've got some fun stuff going on. Chris is going to be heading out to uh, Czech Republic and Germany for WBSC qualifier. we got a bunch of events coming up with the uh, New Balance Future Star Series. So we're going to be traveling to Frisco, Texas, Fenway Park, uh, Tucson, Arizona, University of Arizona, and then uh, Dominican Republic. So we've got a lot going on from a product standpoint. We are so, so close to launch. We have like four items remaining before we can launch our web app, which is going to bring the uh, motion capture from a phone. Really excited about that. It's automated video analysis for your swing. And there's an, uh, just a bunch of other tools that uh, I think most people aren't expecting. We had a really awesome call recently. I've told the story a couple of times to other people. But uh, we had a call with the, with the college program recently in the Northeast. And as the call was wrapping up, the coach was like, man, this is not this is not what I expected at all from the Pelotero product. And I was like, can you tell me what you meant by that? And he said that, you know, they got a lot of people trying to sell them stuff, different technology, different companies. Call them up to say, we want you to buy our thing. It's going to make you better. It's going to make your program better. But the product that they're selling just makes their job harder. They have to spend more time. They have to do the data capture then figure out what the data means. And uh, it actually makes their job harder. And he said, <clears throat> what, what our product does is the first product that he's seen that's actually going to save them time and make their, make their job easier. And I was, I was so happy to hear him say that because that's something that we've been trying to do and trying to demonstrate. Can't wait for people to get this product in their hands. We've been working so hard on it, and uh, it's going to be really fun. So can't wait to get that out. <clears throat> Hopefully next week we'll be talking about it, being live and uh, in the hands of the people. So that'll be really fun. So uh, again, this is a fun episode. Chris and I banter quite a bit, as we always do. But uh, check this one out and just be on the lookout for some really cool things coming from us at Pelotero. Pelotero Pickle, episode 99. Chris, we are almost at 100. As always, send us your comments, questions, concerns. Email pickle at pelotero.com or hit us up at Pelotero Pickle on Twitter. I don't think we have Instagram or TikTok yet, but we are on there at Pelotero app on uh, Instagram and TikTok. So follow us there. Chris, 99. How are we doing? What's up, Bobby? 99, man. Who would have thought? What a day. We've upgraded. Oh, we've, we, we're finally, we've, we finally upgraded our uh, production value here. Instead of yeah, we have backgrounds. Instead of clapping, you have a what do they call those things? Well, when Joey was here, he put uh, the the farm. What he said, the game yeah. farm systems. Yeah. yeah, it's the little director's uh, starter thing. It's better than me yeah. clapping. So now you did two. You did two. That'll spike the audio. Two clicks and a clap already. So we're yeah. we're full send here. Um, we're going off. We're going off an email today. So I, I look forward to more topics coming in. Maybe after episode 100, people will just start bombarding us with topics to talk about. I wouldn't be upset about it. Would not be upset about it. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm going to kind of work hard to keep the energy up today. We've been, I've been on calls straight since 9am and it's eight, it's 4.15 right now. So I feel like vibes are good. I feel like there's a lot of good things happening. You're about to head out to Europe. I'm going to be going up to Texas this weekend with producer Patrick and Brandon. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Just when you Live, think baseball be... season's over. <clears throat> By the time we record next week, Pelotero web app should be live. That's exciting. exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's super exciting. I think that's – I can't wait to scream from the mountaintops. Pelotero, Taro, Taro. Do you think there'll be like a – News team, assemble. <laughs> Uh, no, I big don't. echo, I don't. echo, 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 echo. I don't think we'll, well, we'll kind of have that. We have a lot of, a lot of groundwork laid, so it's. I'm excited. I'm very excited. The demos we've been doing for coaches and organizations have been going very well, and I think, I think we've uh, we're creating fire a little bit. I think putting value happen. in people's hands. I, my so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote. 
Rogan right now because why mm. wouldn't I? Uh, the most selfish thing you can do is be kind to somebody, right? The most selfish thing you can do is create happiness in another person's life because that's I fundamentally found out that that's what brings me joy, true joy in life, right? I I realized that when I was playing that, that my favorite things about being a major league player were getting to share it with other people, leaving field passes, getting suites at Yankee Stadium, sharing incredible moments, introducing people to superstar players. And it was the stuff that I remember as a kid growing up was what mattered. And then obviously from a, from a personal and development standpoint, the nuggets, the defining moments, the information that I got from people that ultimately matter in my life and in my progression as a player that stick with me to this day uh those are the things that i get super excited about and i think through our platform we have the ability to do that now and do it at scale which is really cool so um yeah yeah let's go all right well with that said let's jump right into topics breaking news Mike Trout is really good at baseball. Really good. He's on fire right now. He's homered in those last seven. The Angels are still horrible, unfortunately. Um, I think – I mean, they're not good. In the notes, in the notes, it says Angels are still completely atrocious. I thought what I said was nicer than that. Uh, they have the two best players in, in the league, arguably, arguably. Aaron Judge would like a word, but it's – I mean, it's – it's not going well for them. Trout is still really good. It's nice that he's back. There was a moment there where it was a little doom and gloom that his back was going to be an issue. So it sounds like he's not not going to be able to play. <laughs> he's going to actually be able to play baseball. I don't really know exactly what happened with that, other than I think his trainer might have spoken too soon. Um, some stats, the one through three hitters have an 826 OPS. And the four through nine hitters have a 586 OPS. So that's third. The top three are the third best in the league. Four through nine is uh, worst in MLB. So not a lot of turnover in that lineup. So what going on with uh, with Trout and the note, Angels and any thoughts here? On that note, <laughs> yes. Also, another breaking news point just came across my ticker. Shohei Otani also really good, right? At two things. So they have those two guys. Outside of the the guy that was leading off most of the year, year, Ward, was it? Ward, is that right? Yeah, Taylor Ward. <clears throat> and the Walsh kid that plays first base. Name three other position players for the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles of Anaheim of California. Not Justin Upton. They released him. Correct. Uh, so not one. The little, the little infielder that swings straight down. Go ahead. Say his name. Exactly. So still not one. Keep he's going. like uh he's like David, a Fletcher. David, David Fletcher. David Fletcher. David, David Fletcher. Fletcher, thank you. That's one. If I go by position, um Simmons was there. Is he there still? Nope. Max Stassi is there. We know Max. Max, yep. Uh Trout. Nope, that doesn't count. He's on the team. So you're, you're proving my point. Anthony Rendon's been there's on the a, deal outfielder. all year. Yeah, Rendon. There's an outfielder. Um, I can't think of his name right now. He's been like the classic quad eight guy that's a stud. Adele? Joe Adele? Joe Adele. He just, and then he just can't put it together. You're, you're dealing with the likes of Luis Renjifo, uh, Brandon Marsh. Uh, like, no offense to these guys, but they're they're not – they're just not superstar players. I have a, They're not I have good. a good way. Of, I have a good way of saying it. I charted one of their games recently, and I can't remember any players. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> about that for uh, and also their lineup. pitching staff is Shohei, and then everybody else. They've tried. They've, I mean, did Syndergaard get traded? Is he on the Phillies now? Yeah, he's on the Phillies. Who else Bingham. pitches for them? Exactly. I literally they've, have no idea. And they've, you know, they dealt with the the tragedy last year, two years ago, was it? Now, um, Skaggs. It, yeah, Tyler Skaggs passing away, who was, you know, ticketed to be a star. But realistically, I think Cshek's in the bullpen, and he's an established, like, bona fide big league guy. But really, you could go up and down the list, and there's just not much there. So, 
they're not good because they're not good. They have two good players, and yeah. that's it. Technically, they have three good players because Shohei is two good players because he's a good pitcher and a good hitter. Shohei is two good players. I'll give you that. He's stud. I still don't think he's MVP. Um, I don't. <clears throat> I don't like pitchers winning MVPs. I feel like they've got their own award. The Cy Young is kind of like the MVP. We've pitcher. talked about this before, and I agree with you. Yeah, but... I still, I still very feel very strongly about it. They have the Hank Aaron Award, which is technically the best hitter. Is it best hitter or best position player? The best Hank Aaron hitter. Award. I forget the exact definition. Best hitter. <clears throat> Shohei is in a category of his own. Realistically, if, if he he should win the MVP every year based on theoretically, yeah, pure stats. If he hits two sixty two with twenty four homers, he should win the MVP, and he goes eleven. Yeah, and 10. he's a he's a he's been one of the better pitchers in the league, and he's he hits pretty well. Uh, that being said, Judge is one hundred percent the MVP this year. If he doesn't win the MVP, if he doesn't get, he's not going to get every vote, but he should. It's. He's the MVP. If, if he's not on the Yankees, they are doing nothing. Some of the split stats between, like, Aaron Judge versus two through eight. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, it's he's atrocious. mainly because he's put the team on his back, right? Like, throughout the times of the year when they were hurt, and which has been predominantly all year and had very limited production from some positions. Yeah, Judge is the MVP. I, I sneaky Jose Ramirez is going to get some votes. Jose Abreu just he quietly never, just being yeah. a monster again. Jose Ramirez um, never gets any respect from the MVP vote, but he's he's always there. Yeah, but he plays in Cleveland, so yeah, yeah. It's what he signed up for. He literally he took a hometown but discount. So. They're going to win the division. So like, yep. Hey. That's what it is. It's just Tito and DeMarlo getting it done, man. I saw those guys when they were in town. I was so excited to see them and say hi. And Cleveland just figures it out, man. They piece together. The Central's Central's a weird division. It's just a weird it's it's it playing in that it feels like you just run this never ending gauntlet of playing the same teams over and over and over again. It feels like you never get to go to ALE stadiums, like ALS. It was weird, man. It was just like you felt like you're in Chicago every day. And, you know, the, the scenery around you, Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, Kansas City, they're not, like, the most exciting places in the world. And Minnesota, obviously Minneapolis. But I guess I am I came up there, so it's weird to me. Uh, but I, the, the AL East was much more exhilarating in terms of the places you get to go and see and be around. So it doesn't help yeah. that the weather's not good in the Central either. So when it gets to be this time of year, you're, like, worried about it. Yep. It's, uh, it is nice to see Trout playing well. It's, uh, you look at his career, and what would, what would his career be like if he played in the AL East? What was, what would his, do you think he'd be the same player when it comes to his, like, marketability and his just, a, I guess, status in the game or his ability to get into the press? He's, just, just the he's not a big personality, right? Like, he's not a guy that's loud. And frankly, but don't you think he'd get propped up more if he was at East, on an East Coast team? No, I think he'd get propped up more if they won. They haven't won ever since he's been there. Uh, and I, 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 obviously, there's an East Coast effect to all of it, right? So you have to consider that as part of it. If you watch the captain, you see the Jeter stuff, and the. the the big message I'm on the third time watching the captain now. The big takeaway from it all, third is, time, yeah. It, the per, I, he's one of my three, man. What do you want me to do? Um, I haven't watched it yet. I need to watch it. The big takeaway from from what I I gathered from all of it is that persona was built because the Yankees started winning. Like they won four times in six years. Was it? It was whatever the the number was. Um, pretty incredible to the and, and you did it in you know the city in america that is probably arguably the most passionate city about baseball like la is just la is hollywood man it's it's not it's not really a sports town it's the type of place it's like when you go watch the miami heat play in the first quarter like the the arena's empty like it's not uh and it's very similar because there are other things you know in the northeast I feel like we have our sports and that's it. <laughs> you know, we don't get to we don't get to rub shoulders with Denzel Washington and, and things like that. It's you Denzel know, it's hard nose. Is that team? Yeah. 
I, I don't like know Denzel why. I, <laughs> Listen, I like Denzel. He just plays the same role in every movie, which is fine. He does yeah. it well. We've talked. Have we talked about that on the podcast? No, Denzel's but I, character did I movies. ever tell you that there's a, uh, <laughs> one of the kids I played college baseball with from my hometown, um, his sister always used to say, your dad reminds me so much of Denzel. <laughs> I said, wait, what? <laughs> my dad? No. I said, you're missing something. She's like, well, I know he's an African American. Your dad's white, but they look exactly like. I was like, I've never seen a comparison between what? Luke Colabello and Denzel Washington in my life. I have no, I have no resemblance to Denzel Washington. I have some characteristics <clears throat> that are similar to my dad. So, Lou appreciated it. I think that's a, you know? a little bit of a re- yeah. Well, yeah, Lou likes all compliments. I think that's part of especially if they come from women under the age of forty. Humbly. Humbly accepting compliments, like with the, oh no, 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 no. Been, <laughs> stop it, stop it. Tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> Lou, oh Lou, have we did, did we have Lou on one time? We need to get maybe we. Can no, we used to have Lou on our little uh, when we did stuff at AB Athletics. Get, back in yeah, the day. we gotta get we gotta get uh, we gotta start putting to get pools on a hundred. We talked about it, but. Might be tough. He's gonna be busy. We'll get into that later. I can. I, I still can want. I still want throw Albert. a couple texts out. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, it'd be hard. Uh, next, you topic, had the, you had your shot. Breaking. You had your shot. I know. Blew yes, it. Yeah. I don't like fanboying that hard. I'm gonna I sell you out. We were in the parking lot, and the producer Patrick. I don't even know if you know the story. I would have had to run down the street. Fenway. Run! It was uh, 37 feet away from you, and we were doing nothing. And Pujols was getting out of his car, and Bobby saw him. He goes, oh, my God, it's Pujols. And then he's like, can we get him for episode 100? He's like, see if you can get him. And I was like, he's right there. You go talk to him. I should have made an effort. Opportunities like that don't come up very often. That's on me. That's on me. Yeah, because if you're in the player's lot, at least it's like a safe space, right? You know, when you're inside the gates, like you're not. I would have had to run. I would have had to run. If it was like we were crossing paths already, it would have been Whatever. easier. That's on me. I'll wear it. On, on All to right, the next. next topic, Bo Bichette. Bo- breaking news, Bo Bichette, also good at baseball. Um, he's gone from having a a year where the Toronto press might have been on him, the fans were on him, to being just like, what, 285 with 24 or something like that, having a very yeah. good year. I think there might have been some defensive woes a little bit in there. Uh we happen to know that you had a conversation with Bo recently. Do you, I don't know how much you want to talk about yeah, that. I talked about it on Toronto Radio, so I'm definitely going to talk about it on Pelotero Pickle. I, so yeah, as of so, uh, before you start, before you start, Bo Bouchette is getting all sorts of shine on social media right now because that's what social media does. They capture when somebody's hot, and they're all claiming that he's doing what they're talking about and blah blah blah. Let's get some firsthand knowledge here. So. You and I have known Bo since he was knee-high to a grasshopper, and he was always the most confident dude in the room, convicted, quiet, but you could just tell there was an air of conviction there, and that happened from growing up in a big league clubhouse, right? So he obviously has the it factor. What you started seeing this year, and the first time I've done three Toronto radio shows in the last month, and the first one was in regards to a tweet that I had put out about, you know, how hitters need to be themselves and, you know, how they need to be self-aware. And I can't even remember the exact tweet, but they basically said, so what would you tell Boba Shett right now? And I said, I would just tell him to be himself, like take all the stresses and pressures of being the shortstop of a team that's in contention for the playoffs throw them out the window. The fact that you're becoming a star, living up to expectations of being major league all-star Bo Bichette and just be Bo Bichette. Like, have your feet on the ground right now. Went to the to BP. Um, you know, it was nice. I to, You know, I go on the other side of the rope when Toronto's in town. So I was in the dugout and Bo came out from taking ground balls before he went to hit BP. Um, I was talking to Danny Jansen and Bo Sami came up to me, gave me a big hug, which always makes me feel good because you want to just, you know, still be part of it, you know, in some capacity. And we started chatting and, and the thing he said to me 
that really stood out was like he said this is the first time he's really recognized that the game is a business right and and there's a lot that goes into that and it doesn't mean anybody's necessarily doing anything egregious to you but there's just a lot of different stuff that goes on and the expectations that you start to try to live up to and you know the lineup and how the lineup gets constructed so the amount of loyalty that can be shown to any one player in terms of you know how long they can ride it out with you is like oh well as long as you can produce enough that we can justify it and the one thing i tried to remind him of was to like be himself and to make it about the toronto blue jays and the opportunity that the team had in that moment because come hell or high water he was going to be the shortstop right it's not like <laughs> he's going to sit on the bench and it, let's be clear it was like 258 with you know a 740 ops right it wasn't and, like he was hitting 198 with yeah. four homers. But d- definitely not living up to his own expectations. And and we just talked and we, we interacted for like 20 minutes. And I said, hey, man, go win a World Series, dude. That would be the most fun you've ever had. Uh, and that night, uh, you know, triple in his first at bat, two knocks. And it certainly had nothing to do with me. And it was in the article in The Athletic. Um. Springer had talked to him. Springer's quote was, he's sometimes Bo's his own worst enemy. And it, But ever since I saw him, he has been a smashing. He's hitting 550 in September, which I think is good. Yeah. <coughs> there was an article that floats around where Bo talked about, he was quoted saying he's at his best yeah. when he's like not, think, not thinking about mechanics and not, you know, really just focused on hitting. And we, we did an interview with Bo – and Dante Senior a couple years ago, and he he the one quote that he said then that's just I'm still blown away by it was <clears throat> Dante Senior was the hitting coach for the Rockies and Michael Kadire won the batting title that year. Bo watched Kadire. He went to the cage with him. He, he watched him work, and then he would go out on the field and out hit him during batting practice. And Bo's line was, "I knew, I knew I had what it takes." from a physical standpoint, but they also saw what it what it takes from a more of a preparation, emotional, mental. So you got to see that physically he was, you know, he's good enough as a 14-year-old to be hitting balls 20 rows deep at, at a major league stadium. But then he saw the guy work and how he worked. And for him to be observant to that at that level, at that age is, I mean, what an unbelievable experience to have into to experience watching a guy win a batting title and that's that becomes something that that drives you and motivates you and it just gets into you as a personality it's amazing uh bo bo was probably the most impressive high school kid i've ever seen uh i've told the story i don't know if i've told it on here but we had a <clears throat> we had a pro we had a session one time in tampa i think there were 12 or 13 major league players there legit like all-stars, there were more than 10. We had a full lineup. And Bo was the best hitter there, no offense. He he was doing the I'm most taking. impressive things. As a 18-year-old high school kid, he was going backside 440 on hit tracks on the regular. <laughs> He's just launching balls, 440, cool as a cucumber. When it's his turn to hit, he just gets in and does his thing, works on his thing, not not concerned with other what other people are doing, not trying to out hit them. And Dante Senior's throwing BBs from forty feet away, and he's just raking. Just if to be I clear, the most old, impressive thing that happened that day was Dante's BP. <laughs> Let's just be serious. He threw, he threw BP for three for like hours. Three hours. Yeah. Fuzz for three hours. Yeah. But to be eighteen years old, I put myself in his shoes and said, like, all right, if I was around those players, knowing who those players were. Being around major league players in general, I would have been nervous, let alone having to, if I got in the cage, I wouldn't feel my arms. And he was just doing his thing, putting his work in. He wasn't trying to do anything special, and he was the best hitter there. He was the best, most impressive bat that stepped in the cage that day. Yeah. And so if, you're 18. What is happening right now? It's unbelievable. If, if I and, were if I were him, I would have swung and missed at least once, for sure. What a swung and miss. <laughs> But you take that you take that mentality, and we you know we talked to some front office people with the Blue Jays. We're like, you need to draft this kid. I, they were afraid of his moves, and we're like, his moves make him good. Don't worry about his moves. Um, but that mentality is so rare. That ability to 
not be phased by situations like that. It's just, it's so rare. It's so special to see it. And the more Bo can be Bo on the field, the better. It's, I mean, he's good when he's bad. So when he's, when he's good, it's, he's a great talent. So I'm yeah, happy for him. He's going to arguably be. And for the Blue Jays, they're, they're making a big playoff push now. He's going to arguably end up with the best offensive numbers of any shortstop in the game, probably. Um, and this is coming from a guy exactly. who you were, you were sitting there and you were going, ah, well, you know, it's having a tough year or whatever. But it, 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 this proves two points, right? Like one is the season's long and you just keep showing up every day. And for as clunky as it can feel and as wonky it, it, as it can feel at any given point in time, you just keep going. You just have to go. Just keep showing up. And if you're not getting the results that you expect or want at any given period in time, you just play. Like, you just have to play. And you've got to do things to find motivation, internal, external, every day, day in and day out, regardless of whether you're getting the results you want. Because the only thing that can really affect your ability to create results is the fact that you're thinking about your, your results and the fact that they're not what you think they're supposed to be. And I think that's something that at a young age is usually really hard is like not trying to live up to expectations when you're not getting what you want or the game's not telling you that you are who you think you are. And this is a tremendous example of a player who he just gets it, man. He like he he he's special and he's going to be special for a long time and it's 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 mainly cuz of his pedigree, right? Uh the Kadir thing, I can do what you do. Now I have to be able to do what you do. Um, and it's it's pretty – it just continues to refer said, to me. The line, was, I ha- the line was, I have what it takes, and now I know what it takes. And, Something and to that's, that effect. Yeah, it's and that's what – Unbelievable. But that's the whole – like the whole point is you're, you become a product of your surroundings, right? And the information that you expose yourself to or you are exposed to. And a lot of times at young ages, I think players – they're they're very narrow-minded in where they're getting their information from and sometimes they're too wide in where they're getting their information from especially now that you can have information everywhere but if you go if you just revert to the the old adage of just figure out what the best guys in the world do there's so much information now that you can get you can get into the teeth of what makes great players great and you can get access to that stuff if you just pay attention if you look around if you you really go look for it and you seek it out and you see the real stuff that's behind the curtain and i think a lot of times we get very surface level and that i think ends up trumping so many people's desires and i've been saying this to a lot of college hitters lately is there's there's like this there's this thing that happens when you when you haven't done what you think you can do. You've never done it before, right? Whether you're a freshman in college or, you know, first year player that got drafted. It's almost like you need the results to justify your process, right? You need to prove that you can do it so that you feel like you can do it. And once you've done it, now you 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 grow that belief and you grow that faith that the way you're going about it is right. As opposed to understanding and the guys that I think have impressed me the most. You know, I talked about Longoria at length way back when he first got to the big leagues. He just looked like he belonged. He like he did stuff that you know five ten year veterans were doing. And there is a way to carry yourself that truly like depicts conviction and belief that you're supposed to be where you are in any given moment instead of that fear and anxiety that we create because we haven't seen the outcomes match up to what our expectations are. And Bo was a manifestation of that at a young age. Bo was supposed to be in the big leagues when he was seven. And he's continuing to carry that mantra. And just to go to show you, you watch the guy get a little bit derailed because his agenda shifted a little bit, arbitration, contracts, seeing guys get deals around him. But it's so good to see him back on track and incredibly happy for him. and. Go Jays. Hey, go Jays. What? Yeah, go Jays. Sorry, I got to fix my I got an HDMI cable situation going on. Got it. Uh, the the line that is going through my head right now is the well, no, you're not going well if you tell us you're not going well. Like if your yeah. body actually starts saying <clears throat> Juan Soto popped into my head a little bit cuz 
I think there's been a little bit of clips of, of Juan <clears throat> maybe not being his confident self, maybe maybe searching for it a little bit. New maybe environment. Guys like him. See what happens. <clears throat> new environment, but I wonder a guy like him, if uh, he's got to change the scenery, but if the playoffs happen and he can get more like primal with his approach, just be a little more raw and not think so much. If there's a postseason environment, that'll trigger him into that mindset. But Well, that's the beauty of what the playoffs do, right? <clears throat> yeah. It's the beauty of what the playoffs do. If you get to the playoffs, then you start from zero again, right? You start – it's – whatever numbers you put up during the year don't matter anymore. And it gives you an opportunity to kind of flush everything and start over and really make it about winning. And when you make it about winning, I think the best version of the best guys can come out. The the, the, the weird thing is, is you think about Soto, right? And, and you, just because you brought him up. This guy, they were talking about record-breaking numbers with this guy. And you were doing that when he was in Washington, and it's fine because he knows his surroundings. He doesn't have anybody new to impress, no new fan base. Like, they're going to love him no matter what. He helped him win a World Series at age 11 or whatever it was. And that was his comfort zone, right? Now you ship him to San Diego, different market, different atmosphere, different stadium, different teams that you're playing against. And you're still trying to live up to $450, $500 million Juan Soto because you you might, like, you literally might sign the richest contract in sports history. That's you know how much pressure that is. If if you change one thing, then you might change everything. And these are the things that we don't we don't really come to terms with because they're not. It's it's like people are like I don't want to make an excuse. Well, it's not an excuse if it actually matters. If it matters to the way you wake up every day, if it matters to the way you get out of bed every day, if it matters to the way you go to the field, then it's going to matter to the way you perform. And it's not an excuse. It's just real life. Yeah. The the difference between an excuse and a reason, it's kind of a blurry line. I think if it's if you're using it as a scapegoat, then it's an excuse. But if you're facing it, it can be a reason, and that's okay. It's just it's just how you look at it. So let's move on. Joe Madden had an article in the Athletic about implementation of analytics. So I didn't read the article. You did. So I'm gonna let you talk about it. I know the basic gist of the article and I've got some analogies or at least one analogy to work off of. So give us a quick recap of it and your takeaways and then we'll go from there. 30 words or less, analytics and implementation of data <laughs> are good. I'm just trying to count on my fingers, but. I... <laughs> they're good, but, but. They're, they shouldn't be in the clubhouse, basically. They shouldn't be with the players. Um, that's the synopsis of it all, right? And and he talked about the impact it's having on players, daily meetings, everything that, it's like you're giving the players too much information and you're not allowing the coaches and the major league staff to really use that information for what they deem to be the reason. Now, the thing is, Madden's is forward thinking of any manager we've seen in the last 50 years in baseball. Uh, really revolutionized using shifts in Tampa, competitive advantages. And now you've got the guy is saying, like, yeah, like, I, I just don't want an analyst in the room taking a shower with us and changing clothes with us and being in the dugout, <laughs> you know, because th there's a reason you hire big league coaches. It's because they're, they're there to deal with the players and to manage the players, manage the players' emotions, personalities, and really, like, understand the pulse of the team where – I think people that have a tendency to be on the analytical side of the game maybe forget the human part. And so he's saying, you know, maybe let's not give the player all the information. Let's just give him a nugget when he needs it. Uh, and that takes feel, right? And it comes down, that's what it comes down to. And I, you know, the whole article was based off the podcast that he did and he spoke at length about this stuff. And yeah, if that guy's saying it, then maybe we need to rethink how we're doing things. And and he even alluded to the fact, he's like, it's not going anywhere. I don't see it necessarily changing or getting better. And, you know, that's what happens when you have a an infrastructure that's built around monopoly, right? Like they're going to keep doing it the way they want to do it. And it doesn't, it's not going to be the best manifestation of the game. And I think he even said it, he even said this out loud. He's like, he hasn't watched baseball since he hasn't been the manager. He has like, he hasn't watched it. So 
literally pushing people out of jobs that are like have goat status almost and they're like yeah i don't want to watch that'd be like tom brady would say when he retires i don't want to watch football anymore yeah so um i was uh listening to an audio book this weekend it's called zero to one it's a great book it's a book that i read slash i do audible so when i say read i mean listen but it's a it's a really good book about business and about innovation and they were talking about paypal and how when paypal was starting they had all these issues with fraudulent people like trying to scam them and they were losing a bunch of money from it so they tried to write an algorithm to figure out how to stop the scammers and within like 20 minutes the scammers would change their tactics and they were ripping off for like hundreds of thousands of dollars so they were incentivized to change their algorithms the scammers were so the, the developers started trying to you know stay one step ahead and stay one step ahead no matter what they did they would always figure out a new way to scam and a new way to to, to beat the system. And they finally settled on <clears throat> a method of a hybrid approach where things that were questionable would get flagged and then humans would have to actually assess it. So the mixture of tech with human was, because if, if everything was done by human, it would take too long. They couldn't possibly go through each transaction because they're doing like, you know, thousands and thousands of transactions an hour you can't there's not enough human time to do that so they had to figure out the best mix of using tech and humans together and combined it was way better than one of the two solutions on their own the other analogy that it did was uh they (laughs) they were bragging that computers after after I think it was like 2,000 hours of machine learning could accurately identify a cat in a picture with 75% success rate. (laughs) And the quote was something to the effect of, how impressive is it that a computer can do a task that a six-year-old can do with 75% accuracy after, I I don't know if it was 2,000 hours or whatever the number of hours were, many hours of computer learning or machine learning to get 75% accurate that a six-year-old could do with 100% accuracy. So there's things that computers are really good at, and then there's things that computers aren't good at. Finding the blend of that is hard. I think, to be perfectly honest, Pelotero does that. What our tool does, that's what it essentially is trying to do, is to save people a bunch of time and be uh, complementary. It's not a replacement situation, it's a complementary. We get asked all the time, are we trying to replace coaches? And we're like, no, not like not even remotely are we trying to replace coaches. That's we're trying to make the coaches' life easier and better and save time and scale the correct things, not the wrong things. And <clears throat> the the gist of the article that I understand is they're using computers for the wrong things and using humans, they're getting the they're getting the right humans out of the game and trying to replace them with computers. And that's not the right mix. I think the Dodgers are probably the best at this from you know what we hear from inside the game. It sounds like the Dodgers do the best job of this. Um, our friend Sam Fold was the analytics translator for the Phillies before he took the GM role. Um, it's got to be a balance. It's got to be a balance. And computers can't do, and when people ask us if we use artificial intelligence, I say, yeah, we use AI. We use actual intelligence. And... People get a kick oh, out of it. It's true. It's, nah. it's a it's 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 an honest answer because that's what we're doing. We're the computers, if you don't give the computers every single piece of context, they can't they can create okay answers, but they're not gonna create the best answers. So it's how do you blend both worlds? How do you do things that computers do incredibly fast with human intelligence and human knowledge? That have been built that's been built up for hundreds of years that you can't put into a computer because the you're not feeding it the right data and if you don't Time give out. it the right data it doesn't work you know what computers don't have they don't have feel they don't like they, they can't feel a moment they can't feel a room they can't feel the energy that people have and mm-hmm. that's i think the whole point what you're trying to make is like how do you how do you decipher what a person needs in real time based on what all the circumstances around them are saying? And that's, 
like on a Tuesday that could change, right? On Wednesday it could be normal. Thursday could be fine, but then on Tuesday, oh, your girlfriend broke up with you, you got in a car accident, and yeah, and that's I think that's Madden's contention, right? Is big league coaches are, are really good at being human. I text Joe after the article. I said that was awesome, um, and you know he got back to me, and yeah, that's the name drop. I'll just do it, whatever. Um, and you know my favorite thing about Joe Madden is he was just wonderful to talk to i had i had him on a podcast for um when i was doing stuff for ibf and he is just a marvelous human first and foremost and i think that's that's the part that you get frustrated about is when you lose good humans to the game or it's that's when i think yeah sorry that's i said that wrong but I, i think you get upset when you lose those people who are, you know, their their everything was the game. They spent years and years and years of their lives dedicated to, to understanding and helping and, and teaching and, and growing. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, I don't need you anymore, you know? And that's that's a shame because true wisdom comes through experience. Like true wisdom is, is passed on from generation to generation. And ultimately I think, you know, we live in a world where people are trying to replace that. And I don't think you ever can. And, and that's what happens when you get a, the analytical brain versus the, the rational brain or whatever you want to call it. And I think baseball probably erred on the side of human and tradition and uh, whatever nuanced stuff that was part of, you know, being a big leaguer. And, and you had to be a big leaguer to understand how to help big leaguers. And that's definitely not true. Um, but it certainly plays a role. And I think, have again, blending those two worlds together is what it's all about. Yeah, I think uh, I was having a morning tea. I've been doing tea in the morning. A morning tea? A morning tea, morning Robert? Tea. <laughs> uh, and I was watching TikTok out back on the, on the back patio. And there was a, <clears throat> a TikTok about the, like the mindset of a less than 40 year old versus the mindset of like a 40 to 60 year old and the the 30 year old has like all this energy and all this zest and all this you know passion for for whatever they're pursuing it's like it's more of a passion play and an energy play and then once you get like 40 and get closer to 50s like that passion and energy kind of tails off it just does it doesn't exist anymore but your ability to have like wisdom and distill things goes through the roof so if you remove that ability to distill and to to filter and to focus on the things that matter if you remove that from the game it's just there's no balance i think i think you need both i think you need the young people and the the new innovative innovative stuff and the the fire but you can't get rid of the knowledge and the ability to distill it's like if you're building an organization and most of these teams have significant budgets to 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 bring in the people they need to bring in i don't know why you wouldn't that balance and you know i i say to have the conversation be well-rounded and not one-sided I sent you the thing on uh, Simon Sinek did about uh, the Navy SEALs and how they uh, SEAL Team Six and how they they evaluated uh, humans, I guess. And it was the the Y axis was trust and the X axis was pr- like productivity, right? So, and to a man, SEAL Team Six, right? This is arguably the most important organization to the United States. We can make we could make the argument they, they might be the most important team globally, right? Of anything, of anybody. And not saying it's more important than Amazon or whatever, but their whole their whole contention and and they were evaluating people and they were saying how how do you want your leaders and how do you want your your participants to be? And they said everybody wants the high trust high production guy, right? They all want high trust high productivity. But when it came to uh, low trust, high productivity versus high trust, low productivity or high trust, medium productivity and, and those opposing forces, you always took the high trust guy that was less productive than you did the, 
the the low the, the high production low trust guy and it, it kind of goes back to the same thing and, it, and i think it's again if you use the word feel for whatever you want to interpret it as it's you've got to deal with human emotions man you've got to deal with people because at the end of the day we're social creatures who we read body language we look at each other and judge each other on a day-to-day basis and we're always thinking about how how we're going to relate to that other individual and how that individual is going to impact our lives and, and things like that so much rather have the person that you can trust and i think that's 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 kind of at the root of all this and i think that's what joe's getting at and you know my favorite moments in the game were getting to be around those guys that you know had been there and done it for a long time that were just a plus humans yeah yep it's uh i think the game talk about pendulum swings and like with mechanics it was swung really far and it got to an extreme and now there's going to be some some swaying the other way like going from the the all homer you know true three true three outcome approach to more of a you know contact based and speed game and even the rules of the game with the the shift and the bigger bases and the game's always changing um the the shot clock in baseball is is weird that's going to be strange but we'll see game game's always evolving it's uh being innovative and trying to do new things has casualties. So we'll see. We will see. We got a reader email next from Joseph. I'm going to read it. What's up, guys? Don't know if you have ever written or covered the topic, but the influence of throwing arm dominance and swing characteristics. I've noticed it more with left-handed hitters that throw right-handed and that dominant hand being more active throughout the swing. What made me think of it was hearing Brandon Lau really thinks of throwing the back elbow down super hard Righty throwers to his cue is the opposite of what na- what he does naturally. Are we finding opposites to create to help create change at the most basic level? So, <clears throat> I also got a, a DM about this. I don't maybe might have been the same person. I talk about it a lot check. with my with hitters that I deal with a lot, a lot. No, I got I got it from John. A different. I got a DM from John. Uh, very similar question. First thing I would do would check be you know check your grip strength check to see and going off of age of the player <clears throat> I would just want to see like hand strength plus coordination are you somebody that like if you dribble a basketball righty and you cannot do it all lefty that would be a problem like there's got to be some level of coordination with both hands and if you haven't developed coordination that would be something to focus on that would be where I would start the the act of throwing the back elbow down I would I would look at when you're moving the back elbow down but this is something, excuse me, this is something that we pay attention to. Excuse me, again, this Topo. We talked about this pre-show. I got a plastic bottle Topo bubble. The bubbles are getting me right now. Uh, yeah, it, it's something to definitely pay attention to if you get overactive with the lead arm. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, general, general rule in my life. Right-handedness is considered normal right so if you think about how when young kids are born the automatic reaction is to make them right-handed or to try to get them to do things right-handed even if they're doing things lefty so their exposure to right-hand dominance is always i feel like high and it's just how everybody rationalizes things so what ends up happening is you get these right-handed throwers who are spending a lot of time developing muscles in their right arm and as throwers and then ultimately they become hitters who have very subpar strength uh, even coordination with their left hand so what happens is the right hand becomes the dominant hand in the swing uh even as left-handed hitters generally when we were kids you remember people always say oh lefties always have prettier swings and what i think they meant by that was lefties got the barrel behind the baseball much better than right-handed hitters so you always think about the the lefty that you know had the the more uppercut high level elite mechanic swing that looked beautiful and really it was because they were they were creating great lag with the bat and where the right-handed dominant player I have a theory about that. Keep going. Sorry. Well, the right-handed dominant player, the right right guy, like me, I wanted to swing with my top hand. So swing down was a very natural, like easy thing to do where I could just control the bat with my top hand. Um, and then 
Ted Williams talked about what hand's most important and the bottom hand is most important. And you can get into the minutia of it all, but I just think from a, from a basic standpoint, I think the advantage to the left-handed hitter will always be the fact that they, in some capacity, they were, they were being taught to try to do something right-handed and they developed some skills in their right hand. So it made their swings naturally more high elite pattern, whatever you want to call it, like just better swings. Um, as opposed to the, the, the same hand dominance guy. Now, the, 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 uh, the opposition to that would be like, well, what about left-left? That left-handed person still got exposed to stuff. My dad's left-left, left throw, left hit. Uh, but he writes right-handed, plays tennis right-handed. So I can almost, uh, it's not a blanket statement, but I guarantee you, you can find a lot of left-handed people who do something right-handed or who are forced into doing something right-handed and got good at it. Yep. Where alternatively, you don't Definitely. find a lot of righties who yep. do things lefty. Yes. Yep. I think that's spot on. I think I, I see the swing through leverage. So if you have a right hand dominant who creates a lot of length and pulls through, that's not good. I think the tendency is they're better at creating lag. Top hand dominant, they want to push more and they want to kind of attack with that top hand more. It's easier to get like a hammering type action with the top hand than the bottom hand. So it's just a different. The weaker hand is usually just an afterthought the swing, I though. <clears throat> It's more of the steering hand, yeah. So yeah. one thing that you can try out with this, one thing you try out with this, and this is what I said, said to the person in the DM, so to test your grip strength, like weight room stuff, work on coordination, whether, I mean, you could just dribble a basketball to develop coordination, and you're probably not going to like it because you're not going to be good at it, but if you keep doing it, you're going to get better. And then you're going to just develop awareness and feel. I think that's as important as the strength. And then <clears throat> a simple hack is to take tape. So if if my right hand was dominant and I'm a lefty, just make the grip huge under the right hand, remove the leverage. So get a training bat so that the right hand is just can't grip and create strength. So the top hand has to do more work. That's a simple hack. Something to try out, just get a roll of tape and just load up a bat. Make the make the the stronger hand weaker through grip size. See how it goes. See how it goes. You could do one handed drills, there's you know, there's plenty of stuff you could do. But Big, uh, big grip for the dominant hand is something you could test out. Yep. All right, post show. Albert. You've been looking forward to this. Is now? I, just, yeah. I love Albert. He's my guy. Uh, I believe he's at 697, that 700 chases on. There was a really funny um, – if he stayed with the Cardinals, you think he'd have 800 home runs by now? He has uh, weighted, runs <laughs> weighted runs created plus – with the Cardinals, his his worst season with the Cardinals is better than his best season with any other team. He's always a Cardinal. I, I feel like I hated when he left. I never thought he looked like himself outside of his Cardinals uniform. It's like if Superman put on Batman's cape, it would be it would be wrong. It's just not it's not right. So I believe it's six ninety seven. I hope he gets there. I think it'd be awesome for baseball, awesome for him. He gave away a home run ball the other night because he's like, oh, it'll mean more to you than to me. It's it's just a big milestone. It's a big milestone. What, three people have done it ever? It's pretty cool. And it's a good storyline for the Cardinals. Um, I hope he keeps contributing. I hope he gets enough at-bats to get a, a real shot at it. It's just great. I love it. And it's the, it's the absolute recognition of what fun can do for a player even at age 42 it we had the insider information conversation and he wasn't having fun dude he wasn't having fun he probably hadn't had fun for 10 years it became business like it was work and it sucked and it by sucked i mean it was probably better than most people give it credit for but to watch albert pujols hit in the 230s and just very be very I don't know. It was you were just very detached from him as a player. So you want to talk about the West Coast effect? That's it, right there, right? You, you know, he went to the West Coast and not a hotbed for baseball, not familiar territory, not his normal, and he was just a shell of himself. And you know, environments matter, man. Environments matter. Where you are, how you're viewed, the way people treat you, they matter. You know, everything matters, and 
you're watching a dude who has, you know, really got like this. My contention is and will always be: you can hit till you're 100, man. It doesn't. You don't. It's not the the. It's not. The, the fast twitch stuff, I think, stays in place. And if you lose, you lose a little bit, right? You know, when you're 60, you probably, like, maybe can't swing as fast. But you're looking at Tom Brady, a guy who doesn't necessarily have to use his legs or he, maybe he's lost a little bit of arm speed or whatever, but he can still play. Like, And the mind is sharper. And if you're in a good place and you can deal with all the other stuff, the stuff that gets hard is the prep work, it's the staying ready to play, it's keeping your mind sharp because you're not chasing anything. You're not chasing greatness. You're not like in that limbo stage of like, I'm nervous. I got to prove myself. I have something like this guy's a first ballot hall of famer, no matter what right now. Right. He could have retired four years ago, five years ago, first ballot hall of famer. Where are your incentives? Like, Oh, you chasing a personal record, whatever, dude, who cares? Like it, whatever it's like are you trying to be one of 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 one and if that's your motivation it's probably the wrong motivation anyway it, it's you know that's you need to be playing for something bigger than yourself to be the best performer you can be and we're seeing it man it's awesome i i you know to your point i, I think it's it's great to uh, david ortiz went out on a high note and right wrong or indifferent if there was still something left in the tank it's you know, we just have to be thankful. It's like, uh, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy you got to experience it or you got to see it. If you really think about it, we've been, as a generation, we've been so lucky in terms of the athletes we've gotten to see. Serena Williams came to mind the other night, just retired. Um, you know, like getting to see the Mike Trouts of the world, Michael Jordan um, in football, Tom Brady, uh, <clears throat> so many so many defining athletes yeah like it's crazy man and i'm sure everybody has their own and it feels like you know they're the most impeccable but i i really think we've seen the best players of all time in a lot of different disciplines yeah i wonder if like the sotos and the trout trout's kind of halfway there from his career standpoint but a guy like soto some of the younger players to look back be interesting it's different some, than newer uh, generation yeah it's different than newer generation because you don't see guys and players that get to last their whole careers in one place you know like in that yeah that changes the dynamic like what would it have been like to see mookie play in one place his whole career he's uh, mookie's another west coast event guy i think it's just too many 10 o'clock games so seven o'clock but 10 o'clock yeah just not enough players get to see him the, the kids don't get to see him so they don't get hot in the streets with the kids yeah it's, it's got to be hot in the streets uh, career numbers for Albert. He's he's inching up. He's 23 at bats away from, sorry, 23 plate appearances away from 13,000 plate appearances. 13,000 plate appearances. That's so many times. I'd be curious what percentage of his at bats do you think he was like, like really focused that he would consider himself to be, like on. Just curiosity. 697 homers, 684 doubles. I need to look up. If any of the uh, 700 club are, are, are 700, 700, how many 600, 600 club are there for doubles, homers? Well, it's he not has, a long list. Yeah, he has 2,198 RBI. So if he hits a couple more homers, he'll have 2,200 RBI. Uh, 1,903 runs, just crazy numbers, absurd. I mean, to, to play that long with success like that, just wild. 13,000 13, at-bats are plate appearances. It's just it's a long career. Yeah. A lot of chances. Barry Bonds had 601 wow. doubles. Just so you know. Hank, uh, Hank would be the most likely. Babe Ruth, 506. Hank... Hank, 624. So, Albert Albert was the closest to 700-700 club. That is wild. Yeah. I wonder who the career leader for doubles is. All-time leaders. It'd be sick if it was like John Valentin. John Valentin, you said so many doubles for the Red Sox. Yeah, he was crushing doubles. All right, I get the the list here. Hold on. Standard. 
Who do you think it is? Who do you, honest honest answer? Don't we're not gonna. I'm gonna click to the thing and we're gonna find it out. Uh, it's most be, doubles. I, I would have had somebody like Ty Cobb. Anderson. So Ty Cobb has the highest batting average, and he came up at 7.24 first on the list. I wasn't trying to look, and then Tris Speaker has 7.92. So oh well, that was the days uh, when nobody came. Yeah, so I'm trying to think like modern era. Who had the most doubles? Because it can't be a guy with too many homers. Yeah, that's uh, why I would have said Rick, do you have Ricky a guess? Henderson. I said Ricky Henderson. I'd be curious, like Wade Boggs or like Tony Gwynn, some of the high batting average guys. All right, I'm clicking. My computer's freaking out. It's 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 trying to sort of big. I have a here. I have a better guess than Ricky it Henderson. It won't do it. Paul Molitor is a sick guess, but it's not right. Yeah, it had to be an older cooperate right now. Another great um, guess. I have it. I have it right in front of me. Uh, Another great guess that's... would have been Craig B. Would have been Craig Biggio. But I already made my guess. So there's and only. Then I looked. So there's only there's four players ever with with 700 doubles. Forever, four players. Pools is fifth all time. Biggio is sixth. George Brett. Let's see, David Ortiz is twelfth. Paul Molitor is sixteenth with six oh five. Cabrera is yeah, there. What about Aaron. Guess. Adrian Beltre, Beltre. Wade Boggs is twenty fourth all time with five seventy six. Jeff Kent, five number thirty at five sixty. Edgar Martinez um, was another good guess, even though he's fifty fourth. Cal Ripken. So the top three top four, only seven hundred double guys. Tris Speaker, Pete Rose should have been the obvious one. I just I never think about Pete Rose because of the scandal, whatever. <clears throat> Stan Musial, he's Stan Musial, 725, 475 for homers. He was really yeah. good. Uh, Ty Cobb, 724 with 296 triples. That's got to be up there. Ricky Henderson's 58th, so I was only off by 57. I mean, throughout, in the history of the game, it's not a bad guess. Sam Crawford has the most triples. It's at 309. Who's that guy? It's like Sam? crazy that Sam C. You don't Sam know Crawford. Sammy. You don't know Sammy. He played. He was born in 1880, so no, I don't know Sam oh, Crawford. Right. <laughs> he played. He played from 1899 to 1917. Anyway, that's who, uh, has the most. This triples. is minutia. This is the, well, the it's, definition it's, of minutia. I love learning about players that I've never heard of, and they lead the world. In a stat, and I've never let's, heard their name. Let's get back some, oh, to something more important before we sign off. So right. you're drinking Topo Chico out of a plastic bottle, just to be clear. Yes. So we've talked about this at, at length. Thank you, Stefan. For Thank anybody that doesn't know Topo Chico, it's the best carbonated water on the it's planet a, right now. It's a carbonated mineral water. Notoriously glass bottle water, right? It's I think that's kind of the cachet. It's a Coca-Cola product now. I've been worn out about plastic bottle topo because i got it my wife was like should you get plastic plastic bottle topo and i was like yeah they, the flavors only come in the plastic bottles so like watermelon and lime pretty good though still pretty good but not the same as glass and then the argument is to be made for soda like what do you rank your sodas and somebody did this on a blog one time rank your sodas give me like your yeah so if go, you're going, go if like you're going full diet, list diet coke yeah it's like the only one i care about so mcdonald's Diet Coke, fountain soda. Yeah. Glass bottle Diet Coke or just regular and, Coke. Glass okay. Coke too. So to be clear, McDonald's fountain soda, glass yeah. bottle, and then everybody else's fountain. Right? So and that's, then, no, I, I mean, I, I really only drink Diet Coke when it comes to soda. I don't count Topo. No, no, no. But I'm saying everybody else's, like everybody, like Burger King or Wendy's fountain soda. I got a, I got a glass, glass bottle. bottle I got a glass bottle Sprite at Chipotle recently. It was okay. It was fine. It wasn't like a I, I, like glass bottle Coke is life-shattering. You're amazing. missing the all-time best. It's a Mexican glass bottle Diet Coke. I, I, Something I, they I do in Mexico, the, the sugar cane, the syrup. I don't know what it is, but it's awesome. And then I agree with you, McDonald's fountain soda. And then every other fast food chains is below that. You know who's yeah, in McDonald's last? Has the dead best. last? Who's in dead last in terms of soda delivery? Two liter, the two bottle. liter bottle. The two liter bottle. So bad. Brutal. It's so, so it's brutal. so carbonated. It's just full of bubbles and it tastes terrible. And it's always at a party and it's warm. 
Yeah. And the bottle like squeezes. Remember they and tried then to on make, day, they try to make and it. And then on day of, three, you're done. Day three, you can't drink it anymore. It's brutal. It's terrible. Yeah. Two liter bottle is the worst. Full send. I, I'll take, I would go fountain soda, ideally McDonald's glass bottle, and then uh, a cold can. I can do, I can work with a cold can of Coke, Diet Coke. After doing some yard work on a Saturday enough. morning. I need a 20 ounce, I need a 20 ounce plastic bottle in front of a can. I agree with you that it probably tastes oh, better. No, you can't take a bottle over a can. It's just that you got to level. There's not enough soda in a 12 ounce can. You can't drink a soda and drink a 12 ounce soda. We're, we're done. They should we're do done. A we're not talking about soda. They should do a, t- <laughs> should do a tall boy Diet Coke. They have one of those in Italy, by the way. They have, they have <laughs> one liter cans in Italy. That's a fact. Uh, on that note. Uh, on that note. Hey, we're getting ready for episode 100. We got to get a guest for episode 100. Yeah. I don't know if it's Albert, but uh, I'd take both. We'll make it happen. All right. Anyway, pickle out. <laughs>